everyone! Welcome back to my book review podcast, Unknown Friends. I am so glad you've joined us today. This is the 18th episode of season two of the podcast, and I am your host, Rochelle Ferguson from Kitty Wham Productions. To learn more about me and the work I do as a Christian playwright, you can visit my website, kittywainproductions.com, or to become a patron of the Unknown Friends podcast and get access to bonus content, just head to patreon.com slash unknownfriends. So our book today, as promised, is The Woman in White by Victorian novelist Wilkie Collins. Now, I know I am not the only one who heard that name for the first time and was under the impression that this was a female, Wilkie Collins, the authoress. But this is incorrect. Wilkie was indeed a man, full name William Wilkie Collins. He was born in 1824 in London and was named William after his father and given the middle name Wilkie after his godfather, the Scottish artist David Wilkie. Uh, But for whatever reason, he soon came to be called by his middle name and that's how he was known during his life and still to this day. His father was a painter and his mother taught Wilkie and his little brother Charles at home while they were young. Um, The family moved several times during Wilkie's childhood, and they even lived abroad in Italy and France for a couple of years at the beginning of Wilkie's teens. He then attended boarding school for a few years uh, before working as a clerk for a firm of tea merchants in his late teens, early 20s. Now, about the time he turned 20, he started writing fiction. Uh, Not as a profession yet, though he did start submitting manuscripts to publishers. Um, But meanwhile, he actually left his position as clerk and studied law, partially to please his father. And he did actually complete his legal studies eventually, though in the end, he never officially practiced law. It was in the 1850s that Wilkie's writing career got seriously underway, uh, though even then it took nearly a decade for him to become really successful as a writer. In 1851, when he was still in his 20s, he met Charles Dickens for the first time. He was at that point almost 40, and the two men became close friends. And Wilkie was a kind of protege of the more experienced and much more famous Dickens. Now, at this time, Dickens was editing his own weekly literary journal called Household Words. And if you have an extraordinary memory, you may recall that Dickens serially published Elizabeth Gaskell's novel North and South in this journal in 1854. Well, Dickens also published some of Wilkie's works in Household Words, short stories, as well as a couple of his early novels. And in fact, Dickens and Wilkie Collins even collaborated on a number of stories and also plays, as they both loved theater and enjoyed acting when they got the chance. Well, then Dickens's literary journal went through a transformation in 1859. He had a disagreement with his publishers, and he decided he would just found his own magazine and publish it himself so that he could do whatever he wanted. 
And thus, the weekly literary journal All the Year Around was created, which lasted for a few decades, actually, even well beyond Dickens's death. Anyway, in 1859, as soon as he had founded All the Year Round, Dickens started by serially publishing his own new novel, A Tale of Two Cities, and then at the end of the year he began publishing a new novel by Wilkie Collins titled The Woman in White. It took nine months for this long novel to be published in weekly installments, and then once the last segment came out in August 1860, it was published in book form, and it was so immensely popular that it was already on its eighth edition in November 1860. Yeah, Uh, The Woman in White was an overwhelming success. It propelled Wilkie Collins into much greater fame and a better income than he had ever enjoyed before, and um, The Woman in White is generally considered the first of Wilkie's four greatest novels, all published in the 1860s. It was followed by a couple novels we don't hear much about anymore, titled No Name, ironically, and Armadale. And then the fourth of these great works was The Moonstone, which you may have heard of. Anyway, this was professionally a very good time for Wilkie Collins. Um, However, at the same time, he was struggling with health issues. He suffered from gout. Actually, that started back in 1853, but it was getting worse in the 60s. And he was taking laudanum, or essentially opium, to try to help with the gout, and sadly he became addicted to it. He also, so he never married, but from when he was in his 30s to the end of his life, he had, I guess, a a common-law wife named Carolyn Graves. And then 10 years or so after he and Carolyn began living together, Wilkie acquired a mistress, basically, by whom he had multiple children. So, yeah, he he may have been nominally Christian, I'm not sure, but um, clearly he disdained many Christian values, like the Christian understanding of marriage, so um, it's a shame. I also... I have to wonder if he influenced Dickens in this direction. This is speculation. Um, And we don't know exactly if Dickens had a mistress per se, but he certainly was uh, taken up with a young actress and chose to separate from his wife in the late 1850s after having been friends with Wilkie for several years. So that's just an interesting overlap in my mind. Dickens is abandonment of his wife coinciding with the development of a friendship with a man of much looser morals than Dickens himself espoused, at least previously. Anyway, sorry, sidetrack. So Wilkie Collins kept writing novels in the 70s and 80s, but those aren't generally considered to be on par with his earlier works from the 60s. Uh, Some critics think that Dickens's death in 1870 may have contributed to Wilkie's professional decline, Um, but at any rate, his health was also worsening during this time, and he finally passed away after a stroke in 1889 at age 65. So now, The Woman in White. Let's zoom in on this novel that made 
Wilkie Collins's writing career. Like I said, it was enormously popular. It inspired a kind of craze, a woman in white mania, you could say. After its publication, you very soon started seeing uh, women in white dances and women in white perfumes and, and clothing. People named their babies and pets after the book's characters. It was insane, uh, the sensation that this novel became. And not only did it inspire these short-lived kinds of cultural fads, but it literally helped establish a new genre of literature. Not single-handedly, but it was definitely a milestone in the development of mystery fiction or detective fiction. And more specifically, immediately after its publication, The Woman in White inspired a subgenre known as the sensation novel, which is sort of a mystery novel or crime novel, but with gothic romance-type elements. Uh, so sensation novels were then super popular in the 1860s and 70s, and over time, we kind of segued into mystery novels or detective novels more in the style we're familiar with today. Uh, Sherlock Holmes, for instance, walked onto the literary stage in the late 1880s, and um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle in so many ways defined detective fiction as we now know it. Anyway, but The Woman in White helped create this sensation novel craze in the 60s and 70s, and I really find it hilarious how many lesser writers didn't just try to imitate the general plot structure he'd formulated, but like literally tried to steal what he had done in The Woman in White. So apparently in the years following its publication, we have record of nine published books called The Woman in Black. There are four women in reds, two uh, women in grays, one book called The Woman in Mauve, and one, The Woman in Purple Pajamas. <laughs> so tons of people were trying to create knockoffs, and uh, it doesn't sound to me like anyone was very successful. But now, briefly, I will just mention a couple of the sources for The Woman in White itself, um, the stories that inspired Wilkie Collins to write this novel in the first place. So first of all, Charles Dickens, of course, was a huge influence on Wilkie's writing. And specifically, we can see a few details that may have been inspired by A Tale of Two Cities, published right before The Woman in White. Um, two people who look identical without actually being twins. That is in both novels. Imprisonment that actually affects one's mind and one's own sense of identity that too, Wilkie Collins may have derived from A Tale of Two Cities. So that's one possible source. Definitely, however, The Woman in White was also inspired by a couple of real legal cases from the 17 and 1800s. A major source was the experience of a French woman whose name I don't know how to pronounce. Madame de Duholt is what it looks like. Um, I won't tell you what all she underwent, because that would actually spoil the plot of The Woman in White, but suffice it to say, she had a greedy and rather clever brother who managed literally to get all her money, like inherit it, while she was still alive. He didn't kill her, but he inventively 
worked the system to the point that he totally got away with it, even though she was protesting, brought a case against him to court, had tons of witnesses and evidence, but she never got justice. And the whole situation was was definitely material for a sensation novel. It involved not only a stolen inheritance, but poison and false identity and, and false imprisonment. Yeah. So Wilkie Collins used this real incident in constructing The Woman in White, and he also may have been inspired by a much more recent close-to-home event involving one of Dickens's acquaintances who was at serious odds with his wife, and he actually bribed some doctors to declare her insane and lock her up in an asylum. She, however, got justice, at least much more than this French woman did. She had enough friends that she was able to get herself examined by an honest doctor that declared her definitely sane, and she was freed. Um, and that whole incident happened in the 1850s, so that may have been the spark that ignited Wilkie Collins's imagination to pursue the idea for the woman in white. Anyway, enough for the source material. The plot itself and, and the characters of this novel. So the woman in white is about a pair of sisters, half-sisters, really, one of whom, named Laura, falls in love with a young artist, Walter Hartwright, but she is already betrothed to a middle-aged baronet named Sir Percival, and then the other sister, Marion, is unusually smart, uh, bold, and highly protective of her sister, Laura, especially when Sir Percival, Laura's husband-to-be, shows signs of maybe being a sketchy character. So the story starts with the young painter, Walter Hartwright, entering Limeridge House, the estate where these two sisters live, Laura and Marion, to work as a drawing instructor for them. He and Laura soon fall in love. Marion recognizes this and has to inform Walter that Laura has already been promised to Sir Percival. So Walter leaves brokenhearted and goes off on an expedition to Central America. And meanwhile, Sir Percival arrives and is hoping to set his and Laura's wedding date soon. And also, by the way, I should have mentioned this earlier, before Walter Hartwright ever comes to Limeridge House to tutor Laura and Marion, he happens across this strange woman, a woman dressed all in white, whom he encounters at midnight on a deserted road. And she crops up again later, several times saying mysterious things, making mysterious accusations, and in some ways the whole book revolves around her. Obviously, hence the title. Uh, though it is also very much centered on the two sisters, Laura and Marion. And honestly, I don't want to say much more about the plot than that, because the interest of this novel is in its suspense and intrigue, which it would be very easy to spoil in a review. So, uh, just generally speaking, there are conspiracies and secrets within secrets, lots of criminal activity, <laughs> villains and victims, and all that jazz. If such things can be called jazz. So, I want to comment on the narrative style of The Woman in White. First of all, 
I will just warn you, it's long. Pretty sure it's the longest book I've read so far this year. So it's longer than North and South or any other Victorian novel I have reviewed recently. And my impression certainly was that it could have been written more concisely. Maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention and there were actually just details that you couldn't do without, but at least my experience reading the novel was that it seemed to drag in the middle, mainly. Um, Now, I've seen readers review this book and say everything from it was the most boring thing on earth to it's a page-turning thriller, and I would fall between those two extremes. Um, So the middle of the novel felt pretty slow to me, and I think a lot of that is because we modern readers are used to modern mystery novels that have a very different pace from The Woman in White. It takes its time to put all its many pieces into place. Um, And also, it doesn't expect its audience to catch on. And maybe the audience of the time wouldn't have caught on because this genre was so unfamiliar. But certainly as a contemporary reader who has been trained in the tricks of detective fiction, um, like Sir Percival, for instance, is clearly a villain almost from the beginning. And even though you won't, you know, guess all his secrets right away, you're definitely a step ahead of the narrator. That's the thing. You are a step ahead, and yet the narrator gives you absolutely no credit for being a step ahead. The narrator actually assumes the reader is falling behind the main characters in their deduction. It's almost just a little bit insulting at times, the way Wilkie Collins in his narration will uh, like repeat and restate things for the reader's benefit. Anyway, all that to say, I found it slow at times, but still an interesting read, and I understand why the style is the way that it is, since Wilkie Collins was pioneering a pretty new thing in The Woman in White. Um, And along those lines, something interesting about the way he has constructed this novel is that it's told from multiple points of view. This was not absolutely unprecedented at the time, but it certainly was not a common thing. And it was in part inspired by his knowledge of the law from his early legal studies. Essentially, each narrator serves as a witness, giving their statement about what happened in this this convoluted narrative that ultimately involves multiple crimes and, and victims of various sorts. So the whole book is a case being made against the villains, and Wilkie Collins inventively narrates different portions by different characters who are the best witnesses to different parts of the story. So that's interesting, and gives some variety to the novel. And also, that's what makes The Woman in White an ancestor of the detective novel. Even though there's no proper detective, strictly speaking, the main two characters who are rooting out information and keeping records of the strange events that are happening around them are Marion and Walter Hartwright. And together with all the other witnesses, they ultimately solve the web of mysteries represented in the novel. And that brings me to the last comment I want to make related to the themes of The Woman in White. Um, 
I should preface this with, I was hoping for more thematic depth than I found. Now, I didn't really know anything about Wilkie Collins and not much about this novel when I started it, but I think because the other Victorian literature I know and love is often deeply meaningful and and thought-provoking, I was hoping for something along those lines here. I didn't find much that I felt was very deep. Uh, Yes, Wilkie Collins is making a kind of social argument here. He's pointing out how helpless women were in the British legal system of the time, how they could be mistreated in various ways with basically no recourse against the abuser. Um, So there is that element, but not much more in terms of deeper themes. Except for one theme of sorts, which confused me, and I'm still not certain what to make of it. The first sentence of the book is this. This is the story of what a woman's patience can endure, and what a man's resolution can achieve. The gender dichotomy is a big deal in The Woman in White, and yet it's also very confusingly explored. So quite frequently, I noticed comments in the narrative about, uh, like, all women do X, Y, and Z, or no woman can ever, you know, blah, whatever. But then at the same time, the character Marion kind of crosses boundaries of traditional Victorian gender stereotypes. She is praised as uniquely resourceful and intelligent and courageous, and she's praised as being like a man in those respects. I found that a little bit strange. So it's sort of like Wilkie Collins is trying to break gender stereotypes by creating this female character who is unlike a traditional, dainty, gentle, helpless Victorian heroine. And yet, he's also kind of still in those stereotypes by describing her unusual characteristics of wit and bravery as masculine characteristics. So I'm just not quite sure what to think. I felt like there was a mixed message about traditional gender roles in The Woman in White, because on one hand, there's a very sharp distinction, as for instance, the opening sentence suggests, but on the other hand, Marion, a woman, has qualities identified as decidedly not female. So I honestly don't know where Wilkie Collins lands on this whole very complicated topic, but it was a theme running through the book that caught my attention and made me scratch my head. Interestingly, Marion did become one of the novel's most popular characters with readers of the time, maybe the most popular, and personally, I think it's pretty clear that she's Wilkie's favorite character. He actually named his first daughter Marion a few years after the publication of The Woman in White. So, yeah, she is an intriguing character. She's sympathetic and admirable, but she is complex. Anyway, I am running out of time, so I will wrap up my review right here. I do recommend The Woman in White if you're interested in getting a first-hand look at one of the main predecessors of modern mystery novels. It's interesting sort of from the perspective of history. 
But if you are looking for a Victorian novel with the moral depth of something like Dickens's best novels or Jane Austen's or Elizabeth Gaskell's, I would not probably take the time to read this lengthy book. Thank you so much for listening today, and I hope you have enjoyed this review of The Woman in White. Next week, for episode 19, we will be skipping forward quite a few decades to the 1950s and taking a look at Ray Bradbury's dystopian novel Fahrenheit 451. I have read this book twice now, and it has a lot of insight into modern life and even the soul itself, and I am very excited to review it. Um, Now, quick caveat, just in case anyone wants to read it before hearing my review, it does have a lot of profanity. Um, That is its big drawback in my eyes, so just use your own discretion if you're interested in reading it. Last thing, as this episode ends, I would just ask you to very quickly review the Unknown Friends podcast. It's super easy. Let me tell you how to leave a review because I've had some people tell me they don't know how. Um, Not all podcast apps have the option to leave reviews, but Apple Podcasts does, and the CastBox Podcasts app, and Podchaser, and I believe both Stitcher and Podbean may allow reviews as well, but definitely those first three do. So if you are listening specifically on the Apple Podcasts app, to leave a review, you just go to the library tab in your app and then find unknown friends there among the podcasts you're subscribed to. Well, assuming you're subscribed, make sure you are. And then when you find unknown friends, click on it, and then you just have to scroll all the way down to the very bottom of the page, and you'll see ratings and reviews. And it's super easy to tap on the stars there to submit your star rating, hopefully a four or a five, but I want you to be absolutely honest with whatever you think of the podcast. And then if you're willing, please just leave a quick review. Literally takes less than a minute to type a short sentence or two, and that helps so much. So please take a moment right now to rate and review the podcast if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or one of those other apps that allows reviews. CastBox, Podchaser, etc. And thank you so, so very much. That's all for today. As ever, I am your host, Rochelle Ferguson, and you can learn more about me and my writing at kittywamproductions.com. Thanks for listening and for supporting the podcast. 